This is Beyond the Surface, a storytelling podcast that invites you to pause your life, suspend your judgments, and step into someone else's shoes. We all have a story. What's yours? We'd like to warn everyone that there may be some explicit language and possible triggers. So if you feel anything that's uncomfortable, please just step away and take care of yourself. Hey guys, um, so this is Kat. I'm really honored and humbled right now because this is going to be a special episode of Beyond the Surface where we are actually going to hear our very own co-creator, Laura's story today. Hello. <laughs> yeah, so this is like the first time we're doing this. Um, we kind of talked a lot just individually the first time, but we never really dove into a story and then the last episode, we got to hear Becca's story, and now we're going to get to hear Laura's story. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you feeling right now, knowing that you're about to like be vulnerable with 12 followers? I'm feeling excited. I especially feel a little anxious, but inspired right now. I've had the opportunity to hear some pretty great stories from people this week um, who inspire me and who I admire. And I think that because of their braveness, I'm now here willing to share my story. So I'm feeling brave, nervous, vulnerable, um, as everything you can imagine feeling when you're going to share some deep, dark secrets. Ooh, deep and dark. I like that. That's weird. Don't do that. Okay. Um, Well, I mean, yeah, because I remember when we first started this, it was like, you know, maybe one episode we could each share our own story. And I remember there was a little bit of hesitation from you. And Mm -hmm. so coming to where you are now, where you were like, I think I want to do that. What brought you to that point? Like, what were some of the things that you heard and what made you feel influenced to share your own story? Well, I've always had it. I've always had the desire to share my story with many people. Um, I just think like I didn't have the guts to. Mm. Um, But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing how important and crucial it is to share your story to help other people get through things that... um, that they're going through. I, it, it brings me back to times where I thought when I was younger, I didn't have anybody or someone that I could relate to, you know, and even now I have struggles and I find it difficult to find things to relate to, to help me get through things. But I think by sharing stories and connecting with others, you can really, really help, um, Push someone in the right direction. Yeah. You know, or at least let them know that it's okay to feel vulnerable. It's okay to feel like crap. It's okay to feel good. It's okay to feel everything. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you saying the part about wanting to find people that you can relate to um, and having that time where you almost feel like you're the only person in the world going through what you're going through. And I don't really know in what ways you've experienced that. And I know that in my own personal ways, I've experienced that with different identities that I possess. So I'm, I'm wondering what, what 
experiences were you looking for that you related to in people? Like, does that make sense? Like, what helps you feel related to someone? When, what helps me feel related to someone is when I see ambition in someone who is or has been through struggle. Mm. Um, There's just like an innate feeling I get when I, I meet someone and I feel very, very emotionally connected to them. Um, and again, like when I, when I feel that and I see that that person is really ambitious about that, what they're doing or their life or very proactive about things, it inspires me. And I think that's what helps me move along too. We all have struggles, whether they're internal or external. And it's like really hard to, um, I guess, walk down the street and like not know what people are going through on the inside. And so I kind of just to start off, what do you think or how do you think people see you as you are on a normal basis? I think people see me as someone who's very put together, someone who's very organized and methodical and logical um, and ambitious and passionate and strong and those are all positive qualities which I really like Mm -hmm. um I try not to think about the negative ones (laughs) yeah haters gonna hate (laughs) right um and it's interesting because growing up I noticed those things that people would tell me that they saw those things in me but I never felt those things and it felt like an outer body like okay well you don't really know me because I'm suffering so much inside like my thoughts are all over the place, like ruminating thoughts and not being able to form sentences that I feel like I want to, um, uh, not being able to socialize to the point where I want to socialize. Like I was very awkward. Uh, me being who I am now took a lot of work for me to like dive out of my comfort zone and say, okay, but this is the life I want. So I need to figure out how to get this. Um, so that's really where it was at for me. Um, but how people view me, I think, is pretty much the same. Like, I still have struggles like everybody else. Um, I have a really hard time waking up in the morning. And I'm not saying this because, like, the cliche, it's, like, really hard to wake up in the morning. Like, mm-hmm. I legitimately have a hard time waking up in the morning. And part of that, and this is where my story gets a little bit intimate is because I am actually taking antidepressants and I have been for the past uh, two and a half years or so due to a situation um, that I experienced that really, really threw me for a loop and I didn't know if I was going to be able to come back from. Um, so that medication makes me really tired. Although I like I, I'm going to like jump around a little bit here, but you know, I, for a long time was against medication and like yoga is the way to go and spirituality is the way to go. But then I realized at a certain point that none of that was helping me Mm -hmm. and I needed something to help me stay alive. And at this point it's more like, okay, this is what's keeping me alive every day. Although I am, I am as well, 
but this is helping me and it's amazing and I love it. And it's not an addiction thing. It's not like a, I can't live without this, but this is definitely like a, um, a reminder that being here for me is so special and I wouldn't want it any other way. It's just really hard to get up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's a side effect that you experience. Yeah. You know, actually, so there is a lot of stigma on taking medication, and I appreciate you acknowledging that judgment that you've made before. Um, and I always like to equate it to if you wear glasses, or you're going to walk around, like, not wearing your glasses all day. And it's the same thing if you have a mental health need or you're going to, like, not take the proper medication and, like, possibly be suffering. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to take something that can help your brain chemistry and get you on track? And so it's not necessarily a deficit, but it's like evening you out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's during a rough time or whatever. Yeah. Like I've heard people just say it as it's not my fault that my brain doesn't produce these chemicals that Mm -hmm. I need to feel balanced, you know? And did I absolutely you, agree with that. Yeah. Did you always have um, mental health things? Like, because you said you started taking it, you know, two and a half years ago after a situation. So what was it like before this situation like, with your, because you also said as a kid you were suffering. Yeah. So. It's interesting because I, I knew as a kid that something was off. I didn't feel okay. I constantly felt sick to my stomach I constantly felt very self self self-conscious um and insecure and I was like really sweaty all the time and then that like also brought on like more insecurities and um I wasn't a very vocal child when it came to emotions Mm -hmm. I, I I think that life was already in general so difficult that I didn't know how to express the things that I was feeling. Um, it was just feelings Mm -hmm. that didn't have really a word maybe. Yeah. They didn't have words. And like, especially as a kid, like how do you know what you're feeling? Yeah. If you don't know about it. Exactly. So I actually lived most of my life like that. Um, Thinking, you know, in my early 20s that it was a total normal feeling uh, to feel that way. And I thought that that's just the way everybody felt. And like what? What did every what did you think everyone felt? Everyone. Well, now I realize what it is. It's anxiety. Mm. So I thought everybody had this feeling, this but like just, uneasiness, yeah. this um self-doubt, constant questioning. Am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Is that person uh, looking at me this way because they think I'm this or that? Or um, I'm not going to be able to do well in school because I dropped out in, in, you know, eighth grade. And how am I ever going to go to college? And all of these things like wrapped up in my head, dealing with it alone, not realizing that anxiety was just like, feeding all of this stuff where had I known it was maybe at some point something could have helped me get through those times instead I just took all of that as 
as barriers and heaviness and like I was just like holding on to just the weight of a steel building. Holy shit. Even just like you saying like all these like so somatic responses to anxiety and like all of these internal thoughts that come with anxiety sometimes and then like being in on this like little personal journey like little baby Laura and like little early 20s Laura being like oh this is like how everyone feels and then now you have a word for it and the word is anxiety mm-hmm. and it's in the DSM you know it's mm-hmm. like a it's a mental health thing mm-hmm. and so like how was that response like what is what did that feel like to be told like you have anxiety actually it was not told I have anxiety mm. when I um ended up in the situation that I ended up in I I actually almost I was in such a bad place that I almost jumped in front of a subway car um and I immediately told one of my friends that that I almost died today and she was like well what do you mean what's going on and I was like well I was standing on the subway track after work and I felt like I should should have just jumped and there wasn't anything in my mind telling me not to and that's when it got really scary for me because like I've had fleeting thoughts growing up like oh I wish I was dead or like you know, if I, if I were to die, this is how it would be or, you know, but like, of course I don't want to die. This is, these are just stressful moments that I don't know how to deal with, you know, but at this point it was like, okay, I'm here. Jump. Mm-hmm. And nothing else. Wow. And something stopped me because I went home. And you called someone. I went to her house and uh, not because of that, but because I had planned on going to see her. And I said, this is what happened to me today. And she said, this is not okay. And she said, and I was like, no, 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 I'll be fine. Because my whole life I've been quote unquote fine, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) thinking it was just like a normal thing. And like, this is just a weird thing that happened and it's not going to happen again. Um, So, I, I told her what had happened and she immediately was like, I, I know someone, I, I know a nurse practitioner who is a, a nurse practitioner psychiatrist and I'm going to put you in touch with her right now and we're going to make an appointment for you to see her tomorrow. And that following day I saw her and she was amazing and we talked about anxiety, we talked about uh, depression, we talked about the situation I had been in and how I've felt throughout my life and how I've dealt with difficult situations throughout my life. And she was just like, okay, well, I'm going to give you these medications and we're going to see if they work. And there was never a diagnosis. There was never, you know, you suffer from anxiety, you suffer from bipolar, you suffer from depression. There was none of that. And I really liked that approach because it didn't, label me Mm -hmm. so I don't walk around going saying like oh I suffer from anxiety oh I suffer from bipolar I suffer from this I walk around and I say like I suffer from reality you know and reality hits everyone in a different way 
And right now, these medications, whether they're for, you know, labeled anxiety or bipolar or depression or whatever they might be, they're helping me stay alive. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of research, actually, about how labeling people with these certain diagnoses can um, sometimes be... Uh, harmful to people but also like we live in a world where insurance pays for things and they want a specific diagnosis on the chart to be able to help pay for something and so I kind of appreciate that that person took a different approach with you for sure and actually I remember uh, I was seeing a therapist who I'm no longer seeing was Um, that after um no it was during uh but I remember telling her I was, I said, you know, my doctor, I was called the nurse practitioner, my doctor, because mm-hmm. it's weird to say, oh, my nurse practitioner. Yeah, doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, never uh, gave me a diagnosis. And she was like, well, you don't need one. Like, we know what's going on. We know how you're feeling and we know what medications are working for you. So... You don't need a diagnosis. What was the thing that went on with you? The situation that you keep referring to? Um, so in 2015, or really I should say in 2013, I don't know, late 2013, I believe, I started dating this guy. And we were absolutely in love with each other. And it was the first time that I'd ever experienced that feeling um, of excitement. And holy cow, this person feels the same way back. And I don't feel any negative thoughts about this. I feel good about this relationship. Um, And... He had been here on a work visa and I was working on campaigns throughout Manhattan. Uh, He lived in Manhattan and I lived in Long Island. So there was a lot of uh, traveling and frustration and and that in itself. Um, I think a lot of our issues stemmed from, ended up just being exhausted from visiting each other and Mm -hmm. having to deal with a relationship that was not even that far away, but like an hour of like public transportation and exhaustion and after work and all of this stuff. Uh, we also had like two completely different realms that we lived in. He was in compliance in a very large organization or company. And I was doing like groundwork for grassroots campaigns, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we just in general had like a different outlook on life, but that didn't change our love for each other. Um, at one point uh, in 2015, things became increasingly hard, and we decided to break up. April 1st was the last day of the education reform campaign that I was working on, and my period had been late, and I was like, there's no way, there's absolutely no way I'm pregnant, but like, I'll just get a test anyway. Um so I was talking to my coworker about it, and I'm usually pretty quiet, like pers- like quiet about personal stuff. But it was our last day of work, and we were leaving our office in Brooklyn, and there was a CVS or something nearby. And I said, 
um, to my friend, like, hey, will you come with me to CVS? Um, I I need to buy a pregnancy test, but, like, I'm sure it's nothing. I just need to make sure. Um, and she was like, yeah, totally, fine. So I bought it, and I didn't think anything of it. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, cool, threw it in my backpack. Went home. Um, can't remember if my friend was like, keep me updated. Like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I drove home, and... I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to take the test. Like, I'm totally not pregnant. It's totally fine. Like, this is just so stupid. And at, like, 10.32 p.m., I look at the stick, and it says I'm pregnant. Whoa. What was the first thought that you had? Shit. Really? And why do you think that was? (laughs) Oh, Gosh, I mean, a million things. Um, in the moment, it's just like, it's kind of like that headspace I was in later on where something said jump and there was no other sound around me. Mm-hmm. And it was just shit. Like, just shock. Yeah. And it was like me feeling confused because like, is this, is this real? Like, what is this? Like, what is this foreign thing that's happening right now? Because this doesn't happen. Um, and it, I like, then I think became (laughs) very conscious of my thoughts and felt like I was in disbelief. And I called my friend and I said, Hey, so I need to talk to you. And she was like, okay, what's up? Um, and I was like, so, um, I'm like not really sure what to do. And I'm kind of scared to even tell you this. And she was like, well, what's going on? And I was like, I'm pregnant. And she was like, stop it. And I was like, no, I am. I just took a test. And then I was like, but I'm going to take another one because, you know, it could be wrong. <laughs> I know this is like a thing that people do. Um, I've never heard of false positives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... Um, was talking to her and I remember this moment that I I didn't feel supported and the reason I didn't feel supported was because her response was after after that was oh man I I wish that was me Mm. and I'm sitting here like (laughs) you wish you were pregnant that's totally different than me being pregnant (laughs) you know um and being in the situation I'm in at the time I was living with my friend's parents I was going to school I was working I was uh trying to quote-unquote make my life better and and now you you were in a relationship either and now we were broken up Hmm. right and uh it it was real that was real that was a very 
I can say that, you know, I've been through a lot in my life and a lot of it has been a product of someone else's environment that I was dragged into. Mm. This was the first time in my life that I was going through something so hard that was because of me, because of something that I had done. Uh, I don't mean that in a negative way, but like this is something that I did and I'm suffering from this. You know, I wanted to tell him immediately. Mm. Yeah. So I'd found out like on a Wednesday or something and I sent him an email and I was like, Hey, can we, can we meet up in like Bryant park or something? And he was like, yeah, it's so great to hear from you. I'm really glad that you reached out to me. I really want to talk to you. And I was like, okay, great. So we're, I see him sitting there in Bryant park and I walk up to him and he's smiling and he gives me a big hug and he's like, it's, I'm really happy to see you. You look like you're doing really well. And I said, yeah, you too. Um, and then I just sat in silence for a second and he just, he gave me this look that I was like, he was really happy to see me and he just wasn't expecting this. Um, and this was like two months since I broke up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, we had mutual friends though. So we were connected in some sort of way. Like we didn't really see each other, but we were still connected mm-hmm. very much so. Um, so I looked at him and I said, I need to tell you something. And he like leaned in and he was like, what's up? And I couldn't even like utter the words because I was just so frightened at what his reaction was going to be. Or I kind of felt like I was in like a cloud, like it was like nothing was real. And I just said it. I was like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I said, I'm not really sure what to do. Um, And he looked at me with like such empathy and like grabbed my hand and was like, I'll support you with whatever you choose, you know? Mm. And I was relieved. I was like, oh, okay, good. You know, that was just, like the support you needed. Yeah. Uh, 30 seconds later, it was, but you're going to have an abortion, right? Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't want to have an abortion. Um, but it doesn't mean it's off the table. Uh, I need time to think about what I want to do. Um, and he was like, well, you know, we loved each other and that time is over and we're not supposed to have children together. So you like need to have an abortion. And at that point I was like, I need to leave right now. I need to get on a train. I need to go home. Mm-hmm. And he followed me like 15 blocks to the train. Tried to get on the train. Was like, I'm not leaving you. We need to talk about this. And at this point, I'm just like, I can't even talk about it. Like, I can't. I just, I still can't even believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um. And he like tried to get on the train with me, and 
and yeah and then I went home and he just called me non-stop non-stop calls non-stop texting we're not supposed to do this you need to have an abortion you can't have this kid um and then went on to I think this was later on I don't know if I'm mixing it up but went on to like, if you do have this kid, I'm going to take it to Belgium because your family is so messed up and you don't have the support that you need to raise a kid and I don't want to be with you. So that's what I'm going to do. And I was like, but you don't want a kid. Like you're telling me now that you don't want a kid. And he also had mentioned that he's not ready for a kid. He doesn't want a kid, you know? So I'm like, you're going to take it from me. Like you're sitting here telling me that you don't want it, but then you're like, I'm going to take it if you have it. So that was, like, really, really hard. Um, God. Especially going from, like, this person, you you were once so connected to him. Mm-hmm. And then having him say, like, I'll support you through whatever decision and feeling that relief and then complete opposite happening right away. That must have been very isolating and lonely. It was a terrifying feeling. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. It was probably one of the worst feelings I'd ever had in my life. Mm. Yeah. Um, but so I went home and I cried and I cried and I cried and I just cried for weeks. I cried. I think I cried for like two years, <laughs> really, to be honest. Um, but I just cried and I just didn't feel... Like, I had anyone to talk to about it. And then my my best friend texted me, and she was like, hey, what's up? How's it going? And, like, we didn't really touch base often. She was super busy with her family, and I was, like, busy with um, campaign stuff before that, before all of that, and, like, just, like, living my life and doing whatever and my response was, well, I'm pregnant. And she called me and she was like, what? And I was like, I know. And she was like, super supportive. And I finally found like the support that I needed. Mm, And that was really great. Um, What did that look like though? So for people who are possibly going through that. There was no judgment. It was, okay, so like, what do you what are you feeling? What do you, what do you want to do? What's going on? And, and I just told her what was happening with Ben and how I'd felt. And, um, she was like, well, whatever you decide, like I'll, I'll support you. It's your decision, you know? Um, and I felt supported. Uh, she was the only person I told after that for a while. After several weeks, a lot of people knew (laughs) due to more turmoil. (laughs) Um, But I actually had to get away. So so my ex-boyfriend was basically stalking me to the point where he was, like, pressuring me to, like, he was going to make sure that I had an abortion. And there was going to be nothing else. There was no other outcome that he was going to accept. Um. And I flew out of state because I was like, he, I, can't get, I can't get away from him. So mm-hmm. I had to go visit a friend of mine out of state. And 
I looked into abortion services there and they, I was only planning on staying for like a week and it wasn't until like day four that I decided to look into abortion services and that day they gave me a pamphlet on info and then they were like, well, you have to come back in 48 hours to talk to someone. And then after that, you can make an appointment to have the abortion procedure done. Wow. And I was like, I'm not going to be here, you know? Um, 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. When it's like, I already don't want to do this. Now you're going to make me wait. 48 more hours. Right. Um, anxiety. Beyond. Um, and then I went back to New York and I looked into services there and they were like, okay, well, we can fit you in on Thursday or Saturday. And I was like, for the procedure? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, now I'm kind of jumping around. I feel like I skipped over a lot of stuff, but it's hard to remember everything in, in sequence. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially if something was so traumatic for us, our brain can easily max that to help us kind of survive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Um, but I can say that the organization that I, um, uh, spoke with was very responsive and also uh, very empathetic towards my situation. And I was able to call regularly. I, I remember sitting in my car outside of one of my classes at school and my ex-boyfriend was calling me and texting me and I just kept feeling pressured. And I called to find out about it find out more about the procedure and like what, what I would have to do. And, um, thankfully they had a social worker readily available for me to, to speak with. And they were like, okay, so you're calling because you want an abortion. I was like, I think I do. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't really feel like I'm making this decision. Um, so at this point you almost felt a little pressured from your ex. Oh, geez a lot pressured. Yeah. Like all I felt was pressure. I didn't feel like I had a choice in the matter whatsoever. Um, but you know, the, the social worker was very supportive and was like, if you want to come in and talk about this, we can. And I did that. I went in I talked about it. Very supportive. Decided that I wanted to keep it. And I was nervous about telling people that, but I like really was determined that I'm going to keep it. Like I want this and I already felt it in my, in my body and my blood and my, I was already just so passionate about like being a mom and creating a different life for my kid that I had. And I felt so connected to it that the thought of, removing that feeling from my life was devastating devastating um but again with lots of guidance and help from social workers uh 
I was able to feel supported. And at one point, my ex-boyfriend came with me to a session. And What kind of session? Uh, so, like, a session at the organization where... Uh, where I had spoken to a social worker. It was just like a therapy session. Oh, okay. Uh, And what made you decide to bring him with you? I wanted us to be able to talk and not yell at each other. About your decision to keep it? Just in general. There was no talking. It was just demanding. And then just me shutting down, uh, which is what I do when I get really stressed out. (laughs) Um. And he, so bizarre, like I picked him up from the train station and brought him over there. And the first thing he said to me was like, you look really beautiful. Mm. And I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. Continue walking in, Laura. (laughs) Um, So I got in and... The social worker, I went into the building and we were called into the room and the social worker asked me what I wanted to do and I said, I want to keep it. He stormed out of the room and I didn't know if he was going to come back or not, but he did. He came back like five minutes later, uh, cooled off and was like, okay, well, like if you keep it, if you're saying you're going to keep it, you can't go, you can't turn back now. This is a decision that you're making. Like very abrasive and very... Um, cold putting me in my place you know yeah uh, and I was like okay well then that's it and then the session ended and I drove him back to the train station and he was like you know my parents are flying in and I would like you to meet them um, so you know, let's try to figure out a plan. And I was like, I was crying in the car and he gave me a hug and he kissed me on my forehead and he was like, okay, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this out. And I was like, okay, like finally I feel at peace. I finally feel at peace. And the rest of my day went on and I was, I finally felt good to be alive. (laughs) Um, and then, like, later on that day, I had gotten a text that was like, you can't do this to me. From who? From him. Uh. And at that point, I knew that I was, I was done arguing and that I needed my life back. And it basically got to the point where I felt so bullied and so pressured into having no choice but to do but to have an abortion what he wanted what he wanted and at the end of the day yes it was my decision um because i didn't want to raise a kid on my own my family is you know not cohesive um it would be me alone Um, And I think that the idea of me raising a kid alone, uh, not having finished school and still having so many things I wanted to do and not having the support that I needed was really scary. Um, But I 
I prayed and I cried and I talked to it for like hours every day. And I would just, I could just kept apologizing. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, someday you are going to be in my life. You know, it's just not now. And I called when I was outside of another one of my classes. And I said, I'm calling to schedule an appointment to, to have an abortion. And they're like, are you sure? And I said, Yes. And they were like, okay, well, we're going to put you on the phone with a social worker just because if you're saying yes, we, w- we really want to make sure that you're, you know, in a good state of mind to, to make that decision. And in my head, I'm just like, who is in a good state of mind to make this decision? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't speak for every woman. There, there are women out there who absolutely know that they want to have an abortion and they go for it. Some, some women suppress their... Uh, feelings and anxieties some women don't you know every everybody's different um but either way I I was very happy to have support from the organization that I um worked with and um so I solidified uh, an appointment and it was a Saturday afternoon and it was about one thirty, that was the last patient they had. Um, before that, I knew that they had a, they had done procedures on Thursdays and Saturdays, and uh, I saw a lot of couples in there leaving together with um, little brown paper bags, and I was like, I wonder if they're all having abortions, and if those bags were some for some sort of aftercare. Um, mm-hmm. And I just like looked at the women and I tried to connect with them spiritually, like me, like really just feeling for them. Like how, how does that, how does that woman feel right now? Did she feel pressured by her partner? Did she feel pressured by anyone? Like there's just so much like, everyone's story is just so different and I was so curious to know about every single woman in there having an abortion and they were they were a pretty decent amount so you went into this feeling feeling forced that this was the only decision that you had well I did talk about adoption with him I said okay well if you don't want to have it how how do you feel about adoption I said it would be heart-wrenching for me, but there are families out there that want children, you know? But for me, I'm like, we're in our 30s. There's no reason why we can't do this, you know? Uh, But then again, he was like, well, if you decide to put it up for adoption, I'm just going to take it to Belgium. And again, I was like, you just said that you don't want a kid, so I don't understand what this, like... This, um, uh, it's like abortion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so my best friend, I have a couple of best friends and one, one of my best friends who I've known since I was like 12 years old took me to, took me 
I asked her if she could take me and she did. And after the procedure, uh, we walked out, I smoked a cigarette, I cried. She cried with me. We got in the car. We went to my friend's house and we peeled wallpaper off of a wall. It was a bizarre thing to go through all that. And then suddenly it was a day where I was just peeling wallpaper off of a wall. So you had the abortion and then a year or so passed and you found yourself at the subway. Mm -hmm. What was that experience? Like what led up to that? Feeling worthless, feeling used, um, actually to go, to go back a little bit, the day that I had the abortion, he had texted me and was like, did you get it done? And I was like, oh my God, this, the guy is not going to stop. He went from like the person I thought I was going to marry to like a villain and it was just a very, very scary situation. Um, and he was trying to actually go with me to get it done. And I said to him, I was like, the only reason you want to come with me to support me through this is because you want to make sure I get it done. And he was like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I was like, wow, you don't care at all. So, I mean, that's fine. I wish him well. I really, really do. Um, but that left you feeling empty for that entire oh, year. Yeah. So I actually did. I texted him and I said, it's done. I never want to speak to you again. Please don't ever contact me. And he said, okay, thank you for letting me know. Can you please send me proof? Oh my God. Wow. And I don't remember if I responded or not. I think I, I, uh, I might have said like, screw you. <laughs> or maybe I just didn't say anything at all. Uh, and then he had asked friends if I like looked pregnant or. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty bad. He got a lot of people involved and pretty close friends. I was. Friends with a group of people who were like my family, there were like 15 to 20 of us, and we all lived in a very small town, a one square mile town, which I still absolutely love, and I rebuilt some of those uh, connections, and I'm very happy about that, but at the time, it created a lot of um, friction, and I didn't see my friends for a really long time, and it was sad. It was really hard, um, but... Yes, a year and a half later, standing in front of the subway, I I was just working. I, I had, I'd been working a new job for um, since June of 2015, and I cried every single day that I went into work, whether or not it was on my mind. I don't I don't know. I just would cry. Like it, it didn't matter. Like it, I could be anywhere. I could be ordering a sandwich and I would just start crying. Just so bizarre um, to me because I hadn't experienced anything like that before. And then two and a half years or so later, you're here. I'm here. Sharing this. Yeah. So. And I'm in a very good place. Yeah. And 
I, I unfortunately had to drop out of school in 2015 and focus on my mental health, which was something that I never thought about before or something that I thought I would need to do. Um, but I, I couldn't get through classes. I couldn't get through anything. I could barely get through work without falling apart and crying and crying. So at that time I was working in Manhattan and I was going to school in Queens and I was parking my car at a train station. It was just like, it would take three hours to get to class and then there would be no parking and I'd be upset. And then I'd finally get to class and it would I'd be 45 minutes late. And then it was just devastating. Everything was just so hard and devastating. Um, but my goal has always been to finish school and I will finish school. Um, but I definitely needed, I needed a change of pace of life. And then I moved into the city and I lived in Brooklyn and I started living my life for me. And at that, at that point, at at one point I decided that I was going to live my life very consciously rather than passively. And that I was no longer going to make decisions that that I wasn't a hundred percent there for. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially what I've been doing for the past two and a half years. Is um, living for you. Living for me. And doing everything that I said I was going to do. And I'm gonna do it. Um Sure, there's bits and pieces of the story that are important that I'm forgetting. <laughs> um, but I guess in in the end, at the end of the day, I'm happy with where I am in my life right now. I'm happy with the decisions that I've made after that. Um, I still... I've come to terms with my decision. I still don't know if I made the right decision. I don't know if that's ever going to be, a, if there's ever going to be an answer for that. Um, but I know that right now I'm happy and that that's okay. And I never thought I'd find happiness again after that. So for anyone listening who is experiencing something similar, you will be okay. And it will be hard. But it will be okay. So. This is. is like one of those complicated situations. Because you are not only like. A co-creator of this podcast. You are not only another human on this planet. But you are also my friend. Yeah. And. Um you just opened up like a really big piece of your heart that like I knew a smidge amount, but not to the extent that you just shared. And I'm wondering if there's anything I can do to support you um, because you are just incredibly vulnerable. Just be my friend.